Hello, this is Shirley. I don't usually do a preamble for these podcasts, but this podcast has been uh, a long time in the editing process, so I thought I should explain that. This was recorded back in February before I had my baby, and uh, if anything feels a little bit, maybe not out of date, but there are some things that are not mentioned that have happened since, uh, that is because it took me six months to edit this because my baby does not sleep as much as the books told me she would but I hope you enjoy it nonetheless it's a wonderful podcast with the lovely Martin Willis thank you very much for listening hello and welcome to the alternative book club podcast the online spin-off from the literary comedy night I am your host, Shirley Hulse, and today we're joined by comedian and founder of Objectively Funny, it's Martin Willis. Hi, Hi Martin. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. Thank you. That's um, that's such a good hello. You've, oh. you've really got a phenomenal podcast hello. Thank you. No one's ever mentioned it before. Have they not? Uh, There's so much energy to it. I'm I'm well, thank you. How has your day been? Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I ordered a Greg's which was both breakfast and lunch. I, I don't want to call it brunch because I think I think it would um, it does no service to to that <laughs> wonderful meal. But I I ordered a Greg's. I, it's become I think it's about every three weeks now. It, it I find it quite remarkable that there was a time before we could order Greg's and, and eat it in bed. Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I, obviously I'm not I'm not like pro pandemic. <laughs> But I, but I I'd really like to clarify that for anyone, any conspiracy theorists out there. But I am, I'm quite anti it, if anything. But mm. you can now order Greg's and eat it in bed. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, I guess. Absolutely. I love that you're like, oh, no, I wouldn't do the disservice to the, the name of brunch. But um, in my head, I was like, oh, that's so classy, ordering it. <laughs> Greg's to your bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the sort of thing that you do if you're in like a really posh hotel. It wouldn't be Greg's though, would it? I've just got a, <laughs> clearly never been to a posh place before in my life. <laughs> Have you been to a Greg's? Well, I just think like to me it's still amazing that I can get food in my house without really doing any work at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you entirely. Whether it's Greg's or not, I I think Greg's is not like quite quite a good company. Like they do nice things sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're really they're really coming into their own. I think people often used to look down at Greg's, and now we're like, as soon as not everyone lives. I mean, obviously, I do realize this is a very London centric thing to say, but mm. everyone always used to just go absolutely mad about Pret. And as soon as you take away the fact that they're just everywhere, and you obviously go to Pret because it's literally below your office then actually the humble sausage roll is is a lot more appetizing an option. The vegan sausage rolls as well, which sound amazing. I've really craved sausage rolls during pregnancy. Is that your thing? That is that your your my weird craving? Um it's hard to say. I think I crave lots of like weird things a lot of times. And often it's just like wanting to have things. Like I often won't want to eat it once I get home, but I will make my boyfriend go to Tesco's with me at ridiculous times just to so that we have Maltesers in the house in case of emergency um <laughs> anyway um I mentioned objectively funny in the introduction uh, do you want to explain to anyone who hasn't encountered your shows before what you do 
Sure. So, Objectively Funny is a, it's a live comedy production company, <laughs> which, um, mm. which felt like a ridiculous uh, sentence, you know, three years ago when we started it. But obviously now it's just, <laughs> oh, it's just nonsense. <laughs> so we, we put on live or we put on live shows. We have been working, uh, we, we went to the Fringe in 2019 uh, with seven shows. We were aiming to go up in 2020 with eight, eight shows, eight different really great acts. And we also ran a, a mental health campaign in 2019, which went pretty well. I think we made a little book. That's relevant to this podcast, isn't it? We mm, made a little book uh, on mental health and distributed it. I, uh, we, I think we distributed about three and a half thousand of them o- over the course of, uh, of a month. I personally distributed about about two thousand of them, I think, which um, which was good. It, that's what kept me sane because <laughs> the fringe, mm. the fringe is um, is it's, it's just it's just it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. The the expectations of and, and the workload and all the social pressure and everything. So yeah, we just wanted to like give people little reminders that that they are supported and that there's like all sorts of networks and and things in place to help them. So yeah, so we did that, and then and then we've also gone on to produce other things and and work with great acts like Tom Mayhew, whose brilliant Radio Four show will be will be being recorded this afternoon. So it will be out whenever, <gasps> probably whenever this is out, that will be out. And also, you are doing, still doing a mental health zine online. So, yes. adapting to the pandemic as well as can be expected for a show that works on bringing lots of people close together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the goal. Thank you very much for joining us today. What are you going to talk to us about? So I am going to, well, first of all, I need to say how difficult this decision has been for me. <laughs> <laughs> this has been just one of the hardest things I've done in, in so long, which to be fair does say more about how, how little I've done. In <laughs> I wanted it to be really I, I was going to be I was going to be so funny my god listeners you have no idea how funny I I, I would have been if I if I had written anything um so my my big plans of talking about um The Rock's 1999 autobiography The Rock Says have been scuppered um, largely because I don't have it I don't have a copy of it I thought I did I used to I read it I did read it <laughs> I, it's great the reason i was going to talk about that book i'm not going to talk about that book but uh, just briefly it's important i think to know for for literary fans out there there's an incredible literary device in in the rock says the 1999 autobiography by dwayne john dwayne dwayne the rock johnson uh, and you know obviously there's a ghostwriter involved but i think we can just pretend that there's there's not i think dwayne johnson has is 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 probably one of the literary um geniuses of of his <laughs> and our day there's a point at which he he about two-thirds of the way through where he he stops talking as Dwayne Johnson he's he's been telling you about his life and how he grew up and he was playing American football and uh he lost his virginity he tells you about that you wouldn't expect that from family yeah. man Dwayne Johnson <laughs> disgusting but then he uh suddenly the font changes it goes into sort of all caps and he starts speaking as the rock which is just one of the most phenomenal narrative pivots that <laughs> I've ever experienced in a, in a story, fictional or, or otherwise. So that's why I was going to talk about that, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I'm going to I'm going to talk about Sabrina, which is a 2000 and 
2018 uh, graphic novel by uh, Nick Donasso, which is just, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's an incredible book. I read it, I think it was in November. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of the only books I've, I've read in a, in a long time. that's really actually stuck with me. I, I don't know if you've, if you felt this at all, but I, I find reading in a, in the pandemic is I found it really difficult to mm. be motivated to finish a book. Mm. And to have the the patience and yeah to to see to see it through, which is perhaps why I'm talking about a book that's mostly made of pictures, <laughs> but which is to do which is to do Sabrina a, a massive disservice. It, it really is an incredible book. It's the most prescient piece of fiction that that I think I've ever read. I, I I'd go as far as to say I think it's one of the most prescient pieces of art I've, I've ever seen. It it's oh. it's a, it's basically it's it's, it's about um. A woman called Sabrina who goes missing and the story largely focuses on uh, her ex-partner who moves in with an old friend he's very he's he's extremely depressed because his girlfriend's gone missing also her sister and and some other characters also the person the the character Calvin who her ex-partner moves in with and it sort of just follows their lives and sort of weaves in and out of the impact that this person going missing has on them it's in many ways spectacularly bleak it is very much of of its time sorry if that's the way that some of you are finding out that it's really it's really bleak uh, at the moment it's very much it's very much of of sort of trump's america in as much as so ultimately i don't think it's a spoiler to say this it we sort of find out that that Sabrina has has been murdered. Videos of that then come out on the internet, and then alongside those videos and the sort of reality of the characters having to face the fact that this that you know their this person that they love has become sort of a celebrity in in their death. Also, at the same time, all of these sort of false flag conspiracy theories come out, and the book follows these worlds, and and because it's a graphic novel, can represent them in ways which are really gripping and yeah, also massively illuminate and, and, and talk about or, or show the, yeah, the presence of, of conspiracy theories and, and the significance. And, and so, so the idea that in this case, you know, it's, it's a woman's murder, but in, in real life, I'm sure this was based on things like Sandy Hook where, you know, there was a, there was a shooting in a school, but there is now a Congresswoman in America, a Republican congresswoman, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who one of the platforms that she got into Congress on was by spreading the conspiracy theory that that school shooting never happened and those parents are lying and it was a false flag and all of those parents are actors, all of those kids were actors. Which is just something else. I I feel like there is often this competition between Britain and America of like, which is the most fucking ridiculous country. (laughs) Apologies for swearing. It's a very nice <laughs> podcast. Um, but, and I, you know, often you, you look sort of politically and especially now it's like, well, Biden's in and we've still got Boris. So probably we are the bigger dickheads. But but actually, if you look at the sort of embedded nature of a lot of things that are still happening in America, it's actually just like it's the Wild West out there is is crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but this is as as a work of fiction, it's something that really, really digs in deep below the skin of that and yeah it's it's a brilliant book it's the first graphic novel to be long listed for the booker prize for whatever Um, for whatever that's worth yeah those are my thoughts 
Brilliant. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. That's a lot, isn't it? There's some connection between maybe our idea of fantasy and then conspiracy theories. And I'm wondering like, mm. where you think the fantasy kind of ends because we're so interested in stories and telling stories about ourselves. And when it becomes like, well, this is kind of quite dangerous now. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting question when, when it comes to sort of thinking about belief systems. I was listening to very good, sorry, also very good podcast, um, <laughs> uh, Mandatory Redistribution Party, um, shout out, shout out Mandos, who um, have an episode, uh, they, they, they were talking about conspiracy theories as sort of the, the folk tales, the folk mm. tales of like the, the modern era. But yeah, I, I, I wonder... Yeah, I wonder how it fits into into people belief people's belief systems and and the sort of ontological importance of having something to believe in that you to to have something that you know unites and compels people, um, and I think that when you have lost a lot of confidence in the system, when 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 even the people within the system have actively tried to make you lose your confidence in the mm-hmm. system then you you're sort of left left clutching to whatever sort of flotsam and jetsam happens to be about and and if that is you know alex jones screaming down a camera that chlorine in water is making frogs gay <laughs> actual actual theory gen- oh, genuine God. theory from a from a <laughs> man who when donald trump became president was given press uh status he was allowed into the white house as, oh, <laughs> um, god but yeah you know if if your belief in everything else has been eroded if your belief in society mm. is eroded to that extent then you know it it, it makes sense that the, the net that you cast might drag in some absolute horse shit Yeah, absolutely. I mean, society is based on belief, right? Like none of us were there to prove that Isaac Newton had an apple fall on his head and discovered gravity. Like we have to take Mm. some things as fact. Otherwise, we just can't see eye to eye. And it's very impossible, even if you've grown up with people always to see eye to eye. But there also is this kind of pressure of celebrity or fame that then kind of warps, seems to have a power to kind of warp reality. And I know um, this is like the most um, pretentious thing I've ever done. But when I ha- like burnt out of London, I went uh, and did, an, <laughs> did a teacher training course uh, to teach yoga in India. And while I was there, there were three other people on this kind of retreat, I guess. Um, and two of them were really lovely um, young women. And one of them was this like guy <laughs> who was a conspiracy theorist and he had some conspiracy theories about how the you know the government how the capitalist system is not very you know it's it's not good and stuff and I was like oh yeah I yeah I agree with you wow yeah I really this is really interesting or you're like you know when you're when you meet new people you're like oh yeah you know more than me (laughs) and then basically he was like well um, I've been watching some of those uh videos about flat earth and they're pretty convincing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no. And then it got to the point where he mentioned, like, Holocaust stuff. And I was like, fuck. Oh, God. It means, like, you believe in one of them. You believe in all of them. Like, conspiracy mm. theories are so 
I don't know, maybe like sexy or charismatic or something to the people that believe them. You just, ha- you buy into all of it. It's mm-hmm. absolutely insane. And so interesting to see a book kind of t- take that on and tackle that, especially on a subject of women being murdered, which seems to be like a big hit topic during the pandemic. There just seems to be so many movies, so many TV shows about a woman gets murdered. Ooh. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't listen to them, but it certainly seems that like every other podcast is, mm. is, is on that subject, and also primarily listened to by women, which I think is, which I think is uh, fascinating and 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 mm. you know, un- understandable um, outcome. You know, it's basically research. It's basically, <laughs> um, it's like it's like watching watching like videos deconstructing the thing so you're like protected against it mm, like, how can I avoid it yeah 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 I think I mean a there's I feel like there's a lot I don't I don't want to move on too fast from the fact that you went on a yoga retreat I um <laughs> I, I was at first quite surprised by that but then um I remember that you're a white woman um but then I <laughs> also for anyone listening to this podcast might be upset that I said that I'm half Indian so I'm I'm allowed um, <laughs> but yeah it's interesting what I mean what I find particularly fascinating about that is someone who has flown at least some distance around the world and I do use the word yeah. around <laughs> to then get somewhere you know just startlingly different in in all sorts of ways mm. which uh, are you know in many in many of them related directly to the curvature of the earth and the way it moves around the sun um mm. to then be like the earth is flat <laughs> it's just it's it's bold it's yeah. bold yeah and also to add some information i think as far as i remember he was running some kind of weird drug ceremonies in south america which is certainly at least half the world away uh in a semicircle gosh i i wonder if there should be um now i'm not you know i'm i'm not i'm not in politics um if i were in global politics i wonder if i if if there's a call for bringing in some sort of like limit on how much people are allowed to travel because i think that (laughs) that guy's he's he's clearly should have someone should have stopped him from he should. He should have to stay where he is now. I think. <laughs> just, Sorry, just... if you can't, if you can't believe in it, then you can't go round it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> believe that you're going round it. <laughs> if you think that you're just going like directly across, then I think you should have to just stay still for a bit until you've come to terms with things. I uh, fully support that idea. I, I I thought that Sabrina sounded amazing, but I also am very interested about uh, the Rock's autobiography <laughs> that you did briefly mention at the beginning. Um, like, how old were you when you read this? Now, my main memory of reading this, apart from the um, obvious narrative um, gymnastics that it performs, and also the phrase, one phrase that has really stuck with me my entire life is, um, my metabolism is like a furnace. <laughs> Now that's I re- I think now I remember reading that line I went for an eye test I think I was 12 or 13 years old um mm-hmm. that was also my last eye test What um is that bad <laughs> I mean I need glasses so yeah but <laughs> if you don't need them I guess you don't have to go do you Well 
I mean, maybe I do. Anyway, <laughs> arguably neither here nor there. But um, yeah, it, it, that that book has really, really stuck with me. I think it. I think it's one of those books where it's like it's it's terribly written, but in a way that's like really compelling. Mm. Um, like I remember, I read it at the same time. Uh, now, Shirley, I'm assuming you obviously know no. WWF wrestling uh, as it was sort of inside out, but just in case I'll. Um, so there's around, around the same time there's a a guy called Mick Foley, who mm-hmm. um, his main sort of character that he played on stage was called Mankind, and he wore this sort of leather mask, and he was sort of his whole thing was that he was like quite unhinged. He used to like chuck a whole bag of um, they call them thumbtacks, like um, like pins. Oh, yeah. um, on the floor and then he'd like chuck 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 himself on the pins <gasps> he was he was a, he was a he was a silly boy yeah. um <laughs> to all to all intents and purposes but i read his autobiography and his autobiography was clearly like him just being like this is the absolutely mad life that i have led he was i think he was like in his 40s still you know doing this job that meant that he you know every time he went to work he was taking a few months off his life and like you know but clearly just adored it and 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 then you read the rock and it's like it, he in that book that book was written he must have been in his like late 20s still and he's just this like super handsome um really charismatic guy who's just like sort of somewhere between a sportsman and like a dancer <laughs> Um, and it was just it's just a really it's just a really bizarre it's just a very bizarre and uh, and really brilliant piece of narrative non-fiction that i urge everyone to read (laughs) at some point it's a classic um (laughs) it's a a classic of the genre yeah Yeah, i was gonna ask you like where you'd originally found it but i think i'm guessing you were really into wwf from the clues of you knowing a lot about wwf yeah i was really into wwf so I, I got into it because my uncle and my cousins were into it. Now, my, my, my cousins are, one's three years old, one's like six years old. My uncle's like, I don't know, 20 years older than me. So, like, hmm. he should know better. <laughs> um, but he, <laughs> he still doesn't. Um, <laughs> but he, he was the one that sort of mainly got me into it. And then I sort of found some friends at school who were also into it and we'd like trade because it used to be on the the big ones used to be on at like I think it was Sunday night or or I think it was Sunday night for for an odd reason but American Sunday night which meant like you know 4 a.m here but we'd like trade videotapes of of it and stuff oh that's that's pretty sweet yeah I mean in its way it just (laughs) if you sort of overlook the um inherent um yeah sort of uh (laughs) toxic masculinity mm. and aggression but also i mean also let's uh, let us also say it's very queer mm. um i mean i don't know much about it when people say wwf to me i think about the one with the pandas um <laughs> <laughs> but from what i have gleaned from it it does seem kind of quite staged and there's a big emphasis on costumes mm-hmm. and stuff like that and there, there are some, there are some characters in it who were just like clearly gay, like outlandishly mm. gay. You have like a, a heel is like a bad guy, mm. and obviously this being the eighties and nineties, the idea was that you'd make a character gay so that they could be a heel. Lol. Mm. Um, but so there's oh, what, what was that guy's name? Gold Dust. Gold Dust was amazing. 
um, I urge you, whoever's listening to this, and uh, Shirley, you included, to have a look on your have a look on your phone of Gold Dust the wrestler. Um, he would come on in this like huge gold wig in this like golden black one piece spandex thing, wow. and he'd wear like um like a feather boa. Just like super gay. I mean, obviously his whole thing was not, he, he like would claim to be straight as in like he would like have girlfriends, mm. which is a ludicrous mm. thing in itself. Um, it sounds like a bit like lo-fi drag race almost. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, and, it, and do you know what? It, it, it's probably bitchier. Mm. Um, it's, like a, it's like a bitchier drag race. Um, <laughs> because they bitch with fists instead of <laughs> words. No, well, or... they all, they, they're also they're also no. They also like they come into the ring and they're like, you, 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 baddie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> it, it's strong words. So you want you, you got to watch out if the if the fists don't hit you, the, the words will. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think everyone should have like a WWF alter ego. I think this sounds really fun. Who who do you think your alter ego would be? Not to put you on. The oh, spot. I don't know because I don't really know that much about it. But I would like, oh, just I just love dressing up, and I think I'd like to have a cape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you'd rock a cape. Well, thank you. What about you? Um, yeah, very good question. Well, I. I do have a pair of um, red velour leggings, which um, have, mm. are, are very important to me. So I think the queerness of my character might end up being a bit more on the nose, if anything, um, <laughs> which I'm okay with. Mm. <laughs> I'm okay. I, I think it would. I I I fear um, I might not fare too well in the actual um, wrestling stakes. So I think I'd just sort of uh, camp up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you'd be really good at the. Um the verbal battles beforehand calling them baddies and stuff yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell them what's what <laughs> you you stone cold steve austin you're really really mean actually <laughs> you've made me cry <laughs> <laughs> yeah my leg hurts <laughs> well i really think someone should do some kind of parody of that it just sounds brilliant <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean I think it would be quite effective. I mean, I, I think pri- primarily uh, men of that sort of ilk are are more scared of um, their own latent homosexuality than they are about any sort of physical damage that I could do to them. So, so I think if I just tried to sort of bring out their queerness, that would actually be, in the long run, a much greater weapon. So, so a kind of like WWF ring, but then you kind of like bring in therapy or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, we just sort of turn the lights down just a little bit and, and just sort of just, just a bit less harsh um, <laughs> and put on some like mid to late 50s jazz and um just sort of chat you know just see how they're really doing this sounds like something i i really would watch (laughs) (laughs) i've missed out um i'm just conscious of time i think we might have to swap over no no that's fine i do apologize sorry and and i i I mean i was just thinking about the arts council application that i'd have to write (laughs) for that but um, we'll (laughs) i think i think you're right it's important that we move on So, um, I will do my bit now, which is about Andrew Marvell. 
So Andrew Marvell was a poet and satirist and politician in the 17th century. Ah, the 17th century, those heady times when you could have three completely different careers simultaneously (laughs) rather than dividing your time between managing Google ads and developing your side hustle as a poet. Although I do think it's an improvement that we're no longer subjected to both Tory politics and poetry. Sadly, just the politics still to go. Though, imagine if Carol Ann Duffy were the Prime Minister. Finally, my dream job of emergency poetry analyst would become possible. Journalists would be scrabbling around, screaming, but what does she mean? And I would swoop in and say, ah, actually, uh, she used the word emerald there to describe the chairs. And as we know, green is a colour associated with jealousy. So, of course, she means that the chairs in Parliament are jealous of dead ass. And the journalists <laughs> and the journalists would be like, don't you think that it just means that the chairs are green? And I'll be like, I don't think simple analysis like that would wrangle you an A star in GCSE English. Thank you very much. Anyway, Andrew Marvell was a poet and satirist and politician, by which we mean he was rich in the 17th century. <laughs> If you're not clear on the British history timeline here, for some context, Marvell was around before, during and after the interregnum period. Inter, of course, meaning between and regnum meaning regnum. So the between regnums period, that bit when we decided we didn't like monarchs anymore. So we cut off Charles I's head. Uh, Then Oliver Cromwell ruled for a bit and his headline move was cancelling Christmas. So we decided monarchs actually weren't so bad anymore. We got Charles II, who was actually a much better reboot of the Men Named Charles franchise. Marvell is remembered mostly for his poems. His success in the cartoon world didn't come until much later when he dropped one of the L's and invented Captain America. Uh, His most well-known poem is called To His Coy Mistress and is sadly not about his love for a very expensive fish. But as is often the case with men, it's about a lady he would like to have um, have a shag with. Um, he, kicks, <laughs> he kicks off by trying to get on her good side, by telling her that under certain conditions, she wouldn't be considered a criminal. Had we but world enough and time, this coyness lady were no crime. We would sit down and think which way to walk and pass our long love's day. Nice. He's reeling her in with the L word, long. Uh, oh, and love. And he's talking about doing all this romantic stuff that women love, like sitting down and walking. This goes on for a while, and he talks about taking ages to be in love with her. And he says, And hundred years should go to praise thine eyes, and on thy forehead gaze, two hundred to adore each breast, but thirty thousand to the rest. Now, a hundred years does sound like a long time to check out someone's eyes and forehead. But then imagine spending 400 years with this tosser, constantly reminding him, um, my face is up here, Andrew. Surely even in the 17th century, this is amateur level foreplay. But after going on and on with this flattery, threatening this poor lady with how he would bore, sorry, adore her over millennia, he then plums for a completely different tack, presumably because the first one didn't go down so well. This tactic uh, is the generous reminder of our own inevitable demise which is always a hit with the ladies. He goes, But at my back I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near, and yonder all before us lie deserts of vast eternity. Admittedly, it's not his best rhyme. Uh, Basically, he is saying, 
please have sex with me because we will be dead one day. Oh, Andrew, why? What will become of us then? Then, he says, worms shall try that long-preserved virginity. <sighs> Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many men have used the chat-up line, would you rather have sex with me or with a worm? <laughs> but I can't imagine it works all that often. And for the rest of the poem, he goes on about how they should just get on and have sex as if the rest of what he said wasn't a major turn off. <laughs> this is basically the poem equivalent of the one time I left a club with a gentleman and a desire to tick off a one night stand from an authentic university experiences checklist. And fortunately, the more this man spoke as we walked the short distance from the party to the halls, the more abstinence became the best method of contraception. <laughs> And I didn't check off one night stand that night. And I can't imagine Marvell did either, in spite of his sleazy petition to this poor lady to <laughs> coi carpe deum to seize the fish. Sorry, to, <laughs> that's rubbish. I mean to seize the day. So we've heard an OK poet trying and failing to seduce someone. Thank God we have reached the 21st century and we now have much more enlightened poets working on the same theme. Chief poet in this genre is, of course, Ker Dollarsign Ha or Kesha, and her seminal piece, Die Young, from her 2012 collection or album, Warrior. She writes on the same Carpe Dame theme, but she manages not to be a fucking creep about it, saying, <laughs> I hear your heartbeat to the beat of the drums. Oh, what a shame that you came here with someone. So while you're here in my arms, let's make the most of the night like we're gonna die young. Oh, beautiful. Instead of creeping on some poor maiden's tits, Kesha opts for a questioning, consensual carpe dame theme. Sure, we're still going to die. Uh, and in fact, she's hypothetically moved the time frame forward a bit. But she still says, let's make the most of the night, which is way more open. Let's make the most of the night could be anything from, yes, fulfilling a one night stand quota to getting the best chips, cheese and beans of your life from a kebab. Why can't I say kebab? <laughs> <laughs> from a kebab van before lying on the grass in a park somewhere discussing Camus, each to their own. So, what have we learnt today? One, that some key themes of poetry haven't changed for centuries. Sure. Two, the poetry we choose to venerate can be less creepy, for sure. And three, Kesha has definitely been overlooked for the role of Poet Laureate. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you. What what a poem! Oh man, uh, to his coy mistresses. Yeah, it's also one that you are often introduced to at school. I remember like, it from school. Do you? Did you yeah. do it GCSE? I think so. Yeah. At the time, did it strike you as phenomenally creepy? It's yeah. Well, it, mm. it there's just some there's just some apps there's very bizarre but also like like direct. Like I mean, okay. So I'm I, what I'm looking at here right now is the line: "My vegetable love should grow." <laughs> I, <laughs> and like, if that is not the aubergine emoji, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's remarkable. Vaster than empires and more slow. Very full of himself, isn't he? Oh, um, he's a prime cock. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what I'm particularly interested by with this man. Is um, so he was both satirist 
and politician. Well, apparently he held he held office. Yeah, he held office. He represented Hull. He was a representative for Hull in uh, in Cromwell's in Cromwell's government. I find that very interesting, though, as as a combination satirist and politician, because it's like would would you would you just end up doing more and more ridiculous things so that you've got more to talk about in your like columns? Mm, yeah, good point. It's kind of a bit self-fulfilling. Uh, it's a bit self-involved, perhaps, like his poem. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, God, imagine that. Imagine if we had um, politician satirists today. I mean, I'm just wondering if there's anyone who is like that. I fear, I fear that, <laughs> I fear that our prime minister might be that. But he's not really very good. At, I don't know if he's any good at satire. He just seems to like kind of bulldoze through. It, See, it doesn't seem very smart. Maybe, well, maybe that's my definition of satire. I think that's the problem, isn't it? It's that um, we, because y- you and I have um, like a a conscience we <laughs> we don't see what he does as satire but for example rowan atkinson mm. <laughs> unconscionable he uh when boris wrote his f- famous and awful was it is his article for the telegraph was it when he's writing for the telegraph about um uh muslim women mm, um yeah that that was supposedly satire, oh, which was obviously it? I think. Well, yeah, that was the whole. It was supposed to be. Apparently, it was a joke, mm. which I mean, really does make me feel worse about my position in comedy. If, that, if that's yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be associated with that. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know James Acaster's show from was it 2019 where he talks about his girlfriend who then started going out with Rowan Atkinson. Doesn't yes. seem like such a, such a loss now. I think he probably <laughs> dodged yeah. the bullet there. Yeah, yeah, he's done a right out of that one. But yeah, I, 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 I think it's fascinating. I'm also sorry. I think I focused on the wrong elements of what you were writing of what you were talking about there through your very well researched and explorative uh, analysis. <laughs> um, all I've written down is Cromwell cancels Christmas question mark. Yeah, yeah. What? So you know that. No, I did not. I didn't pay attention. Um, at school at least. I paid I paid attention to you. But I um <laughs> So was he it was he part of the woke karate? Well, he was super Puritan and they didn't believe that you should have fun, basically, as far as I remember. So he was um, part of the woke karate. <laughs> what is the woke karate? Oh, it's you and I, mate. You know, oh. it's it's what it's what people on the right think that everyone else is. It's what it's oh what God. it's it's um it's people who want to cancel Christmas, who want who want to control everyone's language and uh but obviously all of these things don't actually exist and no one's doing this. Right, I see. Um, oh yeah, cuz they've kind of conflated the fact that we might be uh want to be more open to different cultures and join people together and and share our cultures with cancelling culture um yeah yeah yeah. nuance just kind of goes over their heads feels like i think i think so but then um i think perhaps the nuance of um andrew marvel no there's there's no nuance (laughs) 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 to be fair there's not much nuance in kesha i ran out of time i wanted to quote (laughs) i love this song so much i uh 
basically I used to run a lot and um as my phone ran out of any memory so the songs on my phone cut down and down and down so I'd be listening to about 20 songs and this was one of them and I'd listen to them on repeat because I'd run every day and I'm just like this and like DNA by Little Mix I've really overthought these songs to an incredible degree there's a bit later on in the song that goes um it's pretty obvious that you've got a crush oh yeah um that magic in your pants is making me blush for sure which i think possibly is the the best lyricism of the of this century I would, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> I think it's the for sure. Because um, yeah. <laughs> otherwise it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I still don't know if what she really believes here. Um, so I've just, I, I've, I've remembered, I remember what my English teacher, um, one of the things that she taught me, um, <laughs> us, I, I, other people were in the class, about mm. um, uh, to his coy mistress. And I remember thinking this was absolutely mad that she pointed it out at the time and definitely something that she learned at uni and thought was appropriate to pass on to <laughs> 15-year-olds and was was wildly incorrect. Um, and that's the line, um, that long-preserved virginia tie um, <laughs> and your quaint honour turned to dust and into ashes all my last. Um, my... I remember very vividly my teacher pointing out that the word quaint was mm. because it resembled the a word that I'm not going to say on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. because my mum will probably listen to it. Chaucer uses the same thing. Chaucer uses exactly the same word to mean exactly the same, to have the, exactly the same double entendre in um, basically a line where he says, uh, like in Chaucer in the Middle Ages, uh, he grabbed her by the, you know, sure. um, in Chaucer, in Chaucer. And I, I, I said this in the literally in the last podcast recording. So bleak, isn't it? Bleak <laughs> Is how it? much it's coming up. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. What were you saying about Quaint? Well, just, I mean, A, I mean, Chaucer was, was a. <laughs> Greasy anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think there's something about poets, isn't there? They were the fuckboys of their time. Yeah, I was um, also just thinking, what else did I study at GCSE? I studied Robert Browning's My Last Duchess, which is literally about a man killing a woman, uh, which is what we're still talking about being really, really popular at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Either yeah. in practice or on TV. I feel like there was this, there was, there, I feel like there was a period where it was just like, that's how fuckboys slash poets made a living <laughs> was just mm. by sort of speculatively talking about women they'd made up yeah um, I, w- I wonder this kind of circles back to the kind of um, conspiracy theory conversation where whereby we look up to these people even in the 17th century and before that who are, are like possibly questionable idols mm-hmm. and we still look up to this like canon poetry or canon literature today and I really I think that there's so much more that we could think about and and even today like with looking up to I don't know some random person on TikTok or YouTube who seems to be a voice of authority but actually has no expertise like why 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 are we drawn towards these charismatic but very misguided individuals 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? We we like assertive people, mm. um, which I think I, I find is is a really, is a, is a tremendous problem, really, because like for example, I'm 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 doing I'm doing a masters at, at the moment, and mm. I the more you read and you sort of dig into more and more specific areas, the more you realise that you have no idea whatsoever is going on. And there's there's something that what I, I'm doing a sort of feminist media module at the moment, and um, one of the things we're talking about is uh, weak theory and the, the the power and importance of having a weak theory. I i.e. you know instead of being like this is what I posit and this is why I'm right and mm. I will not give you any information that sort of counters or does not fit with my with my hypothesis. Weak theory is like saying, I, I think this might be true. And then getting to the end of an essay and being like, well, I still think it might <laughs> be true. Um, there's, there's evidence that says it might not be true. But there's there's evidence that supports it, and we can sort of weave a theory and and still speculate, even if we can't be certain. Mm. And that's a sort of more sort of feminist approach. I, I think there's a real sort of. Um, uh, in fact, we were we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? About about the not you listeners, um, <laughs> but about the uh, the sort of uh, sureness of certain men. Mm. Uh, particularly you know whether whether that comes from like education or class or or mm. you know other forms of privilege and the, the certainty that certain men can speak with um, that's really weird that um like what i would consider to be a balanced argument is um <laughs> in terms of academia labeled as what did you say weak theory or f- yeah. feminist theory yeah yeah but it reminds me of Women and Power by Mary Beard. I don't know if you've read it. It's a pamphlet, basically. Yeah, no, I've not read it. Well, she suggests that the way that we see power in itself is very masculine. And that to be powerful, a woman at the moment has to kind of emulate masculine structures, perhaps. But there must be a way, she says, and she doesn't really reveal it or give you much detail. But she says that there are ways of being powerful. I, I, it's hard because the language is so caught up with those dynamics. But like there is a way of be, being a kind of powerful without treading on people. Thank you very much for joining us, Martin. So if people want to follow you, where can they find you? Um, so you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Martin V Willis. That is V for VJ. That's my middle name. Um, that's I thought that's it was very my Martin <laughs> Very Willis. <laughs> Strong. <laughs> um, also, um, just just following on from what we were saying, actually, just now, um, I actually I did write an article about um, toxic masculinity in comedy. It's a couple of years ago now, but uh, if you Google Martin Willis, uh, it was for the independent. Dive relatively deeply into theories of how 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 a how a less toxically masculine how how a more feminist comedy might look. That sounds great. Um, and also, can we find objectively funny? It's just at objectively funny. Yes, uh, but it's spelt wrong. Oh, because. Um, <laughs> objectively funny is one letter too long 
for the Twitter <gasps> handles. Um, but if you start writing objectively funny, you'll 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 get it, I'm sure. Or if you go to um, objectivelyfunny.com, uh, you can find us there as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye.